Mm-hmm. I haven't seen my That's face fair. since I was about 16 years old. Oh, oh wow. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I shaved yeah. my face completely probably uh, 15 years ago. It was the last time that I shaved my face completely. And I just look like a doe-faced wiener. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> just never again. There, there's the cold open. We're going on. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Hey, everybody. Hello and welcome to Geeks Camp, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. My name is Zach, and I am coming to you live on Twitch with my co-hosts, Troy Sandlin. How are we doing, everybody? And John Christian. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Hello. There you go. Uh, and then we have a special guest host. It's been a while since we've had a guest host, uh, but we've got a guest host in Sir Isaac from the Business RPG Podcast. Welcome, Isaac. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. Is, yeah, it welcome, is good welcome. to be here. Yes, yes. That's right. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask. So how... How, uh, I think, is it just a matter of claiming sir and then you just, there's an expectation oh, no, no, no. of sir or? There, there, there is a monetary threshold you have to pass. There's, if you send 200 bucks to the Republic of Sealand, there's there a man is. who squatted martial law on an oil tanker after World War II and sells knighthoods. So if you would like to nice. have the ability to call others peasants, just save up your allowance and you'll, you'll, be, in the, you'll be in the clear. It, it works great. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, so we've got Sir Isaac and I am Lord Troy. Oh, my liege. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I am I am a Scottish lord. Oh, hey. So, and I'm yeah. a Scottish mutt. So. <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> and that's about it. There you go. And the that's... German parts of me hates me. So <laughs> it's well, great. So much, so much self-loathing. Yeah. And your son completely agrees with that statement. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. Well, that's the Irish side from his mother, uh-huh. for sure. Yeah, so. <laughs> yes. And Kirk, and Kirk is, is from Mickey Mouse. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but but in, in, all, in all genuineness, though, I am excited to be here. Thank you so much. Hey, really appreciate you. Yeah, uh, you. Being excited to hop on and hanging out in chat so often. That's really yeah. nice of you. Uh, well... So we have an interesting topic for this evening uh, that Troy posed to you, um, and I'm excited to talk about that for sure. Um, I think that could be uh, a lively discussion uh, this evening, uh, but before we do that, uh, do any of you fine fellows have any news that you want to cover from the RPG space? Hmm. I don't think I do. Not this time around. No, uh, no, because uh, Mastering Dungeon hasn't hasn't dropped their new episode yet, so I haven't <laughs> had a chance to steal any news from I, Sean or Teos. I so. listened to one recently though, and they're doing uh, they're doing reviews and how would you up like updates on old modules? Yep. And they did the Dragons of Despair for Dragonlance. Yes, so that's what mm. I listened to while I coded the t- coded today. It was pretty awesome. Hmm. There is mm-hmm. there is something that I found the other day, and you guys may already be well above or well ahead of me on this. But there's a podcast that I've kind of had a resurgence with called RPG Design Panelcast, and Ooh. it's pretty much business RPG only. It's RPGs. They just talk about the business side of um, 
writing games, launching games, and it's it's world forums. So they're talking to people in Germany, across the pond in England, and all over the U.S. It's a great podcast for RPG content if you guys haven't heard of it yet. Interesting. What was that? What was the title of that again? It's called RPG Design Panelcast. But I actually found them. Like I couldn't find them when I typed in the name. Um, I'll actually maybe I can give you a link and you can put it in chat or whatever. But there's the uh, I've never been on a Twitch stream before, so I don't know what the right verbiage is. But there's there's what it looks like. As far as the picture. <laughs> I don't know what the etiquette um, is for this. Yeah, uh, I found them. Genesis of Legend.podbean.com. There we go. Looks like I found them. But I, and I threw them in uh, in uh, Twitch chat also. It's a great podcast, and I hope to have them on the business RPG at some point. Ooh, nice, right on. Nice, cool. All right, well, I'm gonna check that out. Um, thanks for sharing, Isaac. Um, I've got a piece here that I'm super excited about because it's topical uh, to one of our previous episodes, um, last episode actually, I think. So remember how we were talking about a. Uh, a little sci-fi RPG that's going to run as counter-programming to Mothership called Death in Space. Mm-hmm. Um, it got picked up by Free League in their um, in their special little uh, Free League workshop section, and they are going to be helping it get out to the masses in a similar way to how Free League uh, helps Morkborg. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and uh, the article that I was reading said that the uh, de- a couple of the designers from the company that did Morkborg are uh, the leads on Death in Space. So that's why maybe the book feels very similar, why it has a similar presentation, because um, it's uh, similar guys. Very cool. Um, I'm intrigued to see how much more this free league workshop catches on. Um, and I'm, I'd be fascinated to know, maybe Isaac, you can get one of these people on and, and find out the interworkings of it. Uh, but I'd be fascinated to know, um, what does it look like to be a, uh, they call themselves a sub label of free league. Um, anybody that signs on here, um, is considered a sub label, um, and they say that particularly this indie game sub-level is uh, used for externally designed games that they help print, publish, and distribute. Um, they must be fully complete role-playing games with finished art and graphic design. Um, I guess I'm just fascinated to know, what is so So if you have a finished game that's completely done, what is it? What do you, what does the relationship look like to become that that underling of of our favorite company? Anyhow, yeah, uh, Bear Droid brings something up that I was thinking earlier today when you brought up the the, the death in space. What what's the uh, why would you put this out when you've already got the Alien RPG? Which I mean, it it almost seems like you know if you like the system of Alien RPG and you want something a little more uh, pedestrian and you know not necessarily linked to xenomorphs and things like that, you could just kind of do your own thing in the Alien RPG rule set and world. So why why would you go out and purchase or distribute 
what very well sounds to me like the exact same game, just coming at it from a different angle. Well, I wonder if it's a couple of different things, right? One of it's probably licensing. It's probably going to be cheaper not to release it under a, an alien banner <clears throat> because you're not going to have to worry about licensing as much. And then they may want to be going, they may want to go for like the more mothership vibe of it's like a, more of a, a less polished indie approach to where they can kind of get away with that. Not for, for lack of a better way of saying it, right? Like they can, you could do zines with what, the, what they're producing now, as opposed to having to f- every time when, because people are probably expecting as a particular level of uh, quality. I hate to say quality. That's not the right word. Polish. And um, I don't know, pomp, whenever it comes to something that's being produced for alien RPG, as opposed to something that's a little bit more like a little grittier and punk rock, with uh, with something like this, maybe. All right, what well, do you I guys mean, think? How, how much more gritty do you need besides Alien? Well, I'm not thinking about gritty from like a, a from a theme thematic perspective. I'm thinking more along the lines of just like presentation, right? Like they don't they could probably print these things in black and white if they wanted to on A5 stock. Yeah. I'm I'm not I'm just I'm just saying like you know that so, the one rule system could do both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so what? What Death in Space sells itself as as a heavily OSR inspired system, so it's going to feel in some ways a lot like Morkborg. Mm-hmm. Um, and weirdly enough, this was this was a bizarre statement from them that that kind of shows that they're wanting to take it a different route. Um, they list a lot of westerns along with sci-fi movies as their inspiration for their writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and creek and content. So they mention um, uh, a fistful of dollars um, and a, a couple others that I saw. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely, I think uh, uh, an intent to steer away at least in some ways from like the hard sci-fi angle or the, the, the techie sci-fi angle, maybe that, that we see in the alien RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also a thing where, um, and maybe Troy, this goes back to your question, but um, you have to submit an application to become a sub label, right? So Free League isn't going to these guys; these guys are going to Free League, right? Um, so it may be a thing where Free League's like, "Well, heck, you know, you know, if you got a finished game and we like your game, even if it's somewhat similar or parallel to something that we've got going on, if we feel like it's just enough off." And it fills out our roster, you know, in a slightly different way. Shouldn't hurt Alien too much, at, if at all, to have another weird sci-fi game floating out there. Um, it's just a fascinating. I don't know. It's just a fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you make a good point too, because like this could be more of a a um, what is it? Uh, God help me out. Like Serenity or. Um, like a spaghetti firefly. space western, yeah. Uh, firefly, yeah, yeah. More, more like a firefly vibe as opposed to deep space horror. Vibe. It doesn't have that vibe as a Kickstarter, but you're you're right that it could. Um, hmm. uh, the Kickstarter has so we're, we're now we're in a deep dive here, but like <laughs> the Kickstarter feels very like Morkborg, hmm. and I almost and you could argue though that Morkborg is almost in the same way that. That death in space is similar to uh, Alien. 
you could argue that Morkborg has similarities to Forbidden Lands, right? So they already kind of did this once in that they've got this black fantasy running in two mm-hmm. similar routes. Um, but I think the big thing here that I'm seeing, uh, if nothing else, is that they're running completely different systems, right? Um, yeah. I think that's that's their real pitch. So. It could be just that they have a niche that they know works really, really well. And they're just trying to capitalize on the next thing that comes in. They have the audience. You know, that that, mm-hmm. that reminds me actually of a question I asked you guys over at World of Game Design in our interview of what, what does mm-hmm. that relationship look like after I've gone from idea of Kickstarter with everything ready to it's been fully realized and you think you can keep it going for me as, as a business. Um, mm-hmm. they, they could be doing something similar, but in a niche that they know in and out. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I think so. And and the other side of it is that um, I think Free League see, has to have seen, I mean, this Kickstarter uh, for Death in Space did $135,000. So uh, for an indie, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, for an wow. indie creator, like uh, it definitely did super, super well. Um, and it's something that you take notice of. And if that person comes to you and is like, would you help us publish our game? (laughs) Then you probably say, yeah, I think you have enough of an audience (laughs) to where we can work something out. Um, Well, that's actually a really good point too. Maybe it's part of absorption of another audience, right? It's, it's pulling in that audience as well into their, uh, their pantheon of, of games that they've already got producing. But, did you know that Free League also does dot 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 in the stuff that they broadcast out? It's casting a wider did, net. Did, did you also know that Free League does everything that Modivius doesn't? Right. <laughs> All the licensing that Modivius doesn't, Modivius doesn't have, we got that. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> yeah. So, so what has no one done yet? And we'll just do a business around that. We'll we'll, we'll start. That's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Corns, let's do it. Uh, Mr. Yeah, Rogers, right. Mr. Rogers neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ooh, land of make believe. That is Nagel no, Tiger. Right Let's do down. this. I'll tell you the one property, the one license that I haven't seen anyone announce yet. That you know, if I can give my left arm, uh, uh, Mad Max is still out there somewhere. Mm. There's been no yeah. no chat of it at all. Shiny so, and chrome, baby. Shiny, shiny and chrome. chrome. I wonder. Do you, do you think uh, what's his name Miller is like holding on to that or? No, I think it's I think it's floating. If I had to guess, it's probably in somebody's back pocket. And if I if I I would be surprised if there wasn't something in development, you know. Um, but and and I'm going to be surprised if it's not in Modifius's or uh, Free League's hands, to be honest. But who knows? Um, that's that's the missing link here, in my opinion. But okay, so. That was a that believe it or not that was just the news side of things. Um, <laughs> that was one news article. That was one news article. Um, we got a whole other topic, and uh, yeah. So Troy, you posed this. This is something that that you, John, and I were talking about uh, uh, in in text form last week, and then you you hopped into a chat with Isaac and and. Lo and behold, felt like that would be a good topic for this evening. So, Troy, what what are we talking about? What's what's the plan? We are talking about 
what is coming in 2024? What do we think Wizards of the Coast is going to do with the evolution of D&D? Is it going to be you know, 5e evolved? Is it going to be a sixth edition? Is it, you know, they say, they say it's going to be backwards compatible. What does that mean? Will we still be able to create using some form of an SRD, some form of an OG, you know, open gaming license? What's, you know? Yeah. What, and, and really, I think we want to, we want to hone in on that. What does this mean for the third party creator angle? Right. Um, mm-hmm. because there's this, you know, we could probably do a whole podcast series on what could 2024 bring. <laughs> um, true, but I think maybe we can contain it to a single episode if we're careful here. Um, so if, if you guys don't mind, um, unless you feel like this is being repetitive, I thought I might just kind of give a, a quick overview of what yeah. has been announced? What do we know? And then we can, that kind of gives us a framework to then theorize right. on how, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, and, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and quote things to you. This is going to be my summary overview. Um, but uh, a few months back, Wizards of the Coast announced that in 2024, uh, they are going to have a revised edition, a revised release of the core rule books uh, for D&D. Along with that statement, they also sent out a survey um, that was pretty stinking obsessive. Like it asked all sorts of questions about not just your play experience, um, but it got down into the minutia like no other survey had done before, in my opinion, uh, especially for fifth edition. This is a survey that asked pointed, detailed questions about every ability of every core race and every core class. Mm -hmm. Um, It was not a, how do you feel about this archetype for the class? It's like, no, what do you think about, you know, primeval awareness for the ranger as an ability? (laughs) <laughs> how satisfied are you with it? That's that's super detailed. And you don't ask a question like that um, unless you are considering the idea of making adjustments there. But that's that's a little bit of, of uh, uh, guesswork. Um, so they send out the survey. Um, since that time, of course, they threw everybody into a tizzy. Um, we saw snippets of a... Uh, of a new uh, VTT that they confirmed they are developing in-house, um, or at least with their own company. Um, so we know that uh, there's a big question mark looming over, or we, we can, we're guessing that there's a big question mark looming over, is D&D Beyond going to continue to be the most legitimate source for online tools for 5th edition? Um and then we started getting comments from various designers um, through interviews and streams and things where they said things like Troy mentioned, um, everything is going to be backwards compatible. 
that's the intent that you're not, we're not going to see a new edition in 2024. We're going to see a backwards compatible iteration. Um, uh, and we did hear the word thrown around uh, that it will be the next evolution of D and D. Um, so backwards compatible, but a new evolution. Um, and then kind of one of the most recent things is they invited some of the, uh, let's say the, the prominent influencers around fifth edition to do a Q and a and kind of a chat with the designers. Um, and Nerdarchy posted some questions that they had raised during that interview and the responses. And the big thing that came out of that was um, they pointedly asked, um, is the SRD and OGL going to move forward? Uh, For those of you that aren't aware, the OGL, the open gaming license, is what allows third-party creators to design content for fifth edition. The SRD is the mm, particular mechanics and flavor and things that uh, Watsi has turned loose into the open world. Uh, so the license kind of outlines how you can use these things. And then the SRD is those things and anything that is not part of the SRD, you cannot use uh, if it's found within their books. So an example of that is um, uh a boule is in the SRD and you can copy and paste that stat block into whatever you want, but a beholder is not. And so you can't use that stat block, nor can you use the word beholder in your game. Uh, So they were very clear that the, at this point in time, their intent is to leave the SRD and OGL how they are. There will not be a new OGL, which we, that's, that's kind of makes sense since we're not getting a new edition, but they're not going to update the SRD anymore either, um, which is something that they actually haven't done in a very long time. What this means uh, from a creator standpoint, um, and and this is is the last thing before we kind of turn it loose into discussion, what this means is that um, when they do things like, uh, if they do something like revise the ranger to where the ranger is now doesn't have primeval awareness and doesn't have this other thing. And they've replaced those abilities with new abilities. Um, third party creators will not be able to reference those new abilities. Um, and they cannot design archetypes that utilize or enhance or modify those new abilities. Um, and, uh, if those creators have archetypes, this is just one key space of it, but if creators have archetypes currently um, that reference primeval awareness, uh, that will no longer be a valid build for the current evolution of D&D. Obviously, that build still perfectly works for the traditional ranger or whatever they're building on, um, but it wouldn't work for revised and so now so all that being said and you guys can yell at me if i miss something but all that to be said our discussion tonight is okay so that's what we know we can guess a whole lot but where does that leave creators who want to make content but see the um the 
kind of shaky ground or our unknown territory approaching of what is what does evolution mean look and and what is my role in that going to look like what should i design what could i design that might get to play in both fields um am i safe to still design things for regular 5e should i be trying to you know anyhow that's that's where we're going to be sitting here so um yeah let's kick it off uh isaac what's your initial thoughts as you kind of as we kind of ran through that my my initial thoughts and and this kind of comes from my previous conversation with troy is that I understand mm. there's really two arguments to the situation of where the market's going to go. One is there's going to be a new system, kind of like you said, is, is a possibility where they're going to replace a lot of things. It's going to be backwards compatible, and you have to make content based off of what that new system is going to be. And then the other is the idea that you just need to focus on creating content that can be adapted to really any system. Um, and, and correct me if, if I'm wrong about those kind of being the two different ways it can go but um from from where i'm standing and and i also understand that i kind of have a blind spot coming into this conversation because a lot of you guys you go to conferences you do a lot of things when it comes to i'm going to follow fifth edition or 5e for these games that i have come to this conference to run for people whereas mm. my entire dnd experience has been homebrew it's been mm-hmm. it's been very much run and gun. You want to have a beholder that you carry around as you're familiar on a dog leash? Well, let's figure out how that happens. Um, it doesn't go sure. well, but we still figure out a way for it to happen. And my my introduction to D&D was actually through Pathfinder. And we were playing mm-hmm. Pathfinder using the SRD resources when 5e came out. You know, I remember watching the playthroughs that they were putting up on YouTube of 5e um, while, while they were getting ready to release the books and everything. But we were still so in love with 3.5 and Pathfinder that we really pres- pressed into it. And then when it first came out before I completely adopted 5th edition, we just made up our own hybrid system. And that hybrid system came based off of whatever other written content was out there. And I emphasize whatever other written content was out there. We're at a point now where I actually, the only books that I own are in a box over there, D&D books that I own, they're in a box over there that I bought off of Facebook Marketplace from second edition that I have as collector's items that I want to get graded someday. Um, we're, we're really not in a time anymore where I think that the physical market is going to be the limitation when it comes to how you run D&D as a system. Um, so the argument I would put forward is I think that the market really would do well to lean into systems that are highly adaptable to whatever, or I take that back, um, campaigns and ideas that are highly adaptable to any system that you want to put them into. And I would open that up to any system. It doesn't have to be D&D related. Monster of the Week, GURPS. I like the Rice system or Rice's system. Um, but, but that's kind of where my gut is. But... Um, that if we're wanting to stay in the realm of D and D, um, I, I guess I would think it foolish of them to try and they either need to come up with a system that is going to be foolproof going into the future, because we're going into an age where content is what's important and not the system or double down on what they have and just try and focus on creating more content. That's my thoughts. Sorry. That was a lot. (laughs) 
Well, there's a lot to unpack in there, right? There is a lot. I think that I think that it's going to be really interesting to see. I remember whenever they first put forward D and D next, and they were talking about fifth edition. One of the, the design philosophies that they'd chosen was to try to create something that felt like the old, but that also felt new at the same time. Felt modernized. It was streamlined butterfly, but they were trying to do something that the best they could to appease all of the older players and introduce it to new players. Right. So, and to to try to, to create an end to the edition war, I remember specifically seeing the tweets and the Facebook posts and and stuff like that from, uh, from Mike Merles and from Jeremy Crawford, whenever they were first starting to have those conversations. So what's going to be really interesting to me is how does this play out from an edition war perspective? Are we, are we entering into another era of people being pissed off that they've got to buy new books or why are you messing with my D and D? What's interesting about that is that the audience is really young and hasn't been, a lot of the audience hasn't been playing D and D for very long, a mm-hmm. lot of them. So this is going to be very, very new territory for them, for them where how many of them have ever played any game before in a tabletop RPG where they're shifted gears. And now you have to buy all of your books again, if you want to stay current, right? So how many of those people are going to want to stay current and how many of them are going to be like, forget it. I don't want to have to buy new books, but I'm willing to, if I'm going to buy new books, I'm going to buy books that are going to be based on the content that I'm comfortable with, that I know that I've been playing for the past several years. So I wonder if all that to say, I think that part of what, I think there's still going to end up being a space for more than enough creators out there that can use the existing SRD and OGL licensing for fifth edition as it is today to continue pr- producing content for that system uh, in a meaningful way, in a lucrative way uh, on an ongoing basis. We saw Paizo. Paizo built their entire backbone off of a quote unquote dead system, something that was no longer being supported by Wizards of the Coast. They built an empire off of that. Now, granted, how how empiric it is these days is, is probably is arguable, but um, I think there's still a space in the ecosystem of gaming and of RPG tabletop RPGs for five E to still have a breath that and a heartbeat that it maintains for years and years to come. Maybe not like another 10 or even another five, maybe, but at least I'm thinking there's like three to five years of good people continuing to play that content or, or more who knows. And people are used to 20 plus years of freedom when it comes to the OGL. Whenever that was introduced in third edition, that was revolutionary. And so now what, like now D or uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, creating a restriction on that, that's going to be really, because I don't think that it's common, common knowledge in the, in the community that the OGL is going away for, for whatever this, this advanced version or next version of D&D is. It's not going away. It's not going, it's not away. going away, to be, to be clear. Okay. Maybe I, mis- <clears throat> maybe I misunderstood. Well, not the, the, it's the going so, away from the, for the new stuff that's being produced, right? Well, so, so, so just like you still have early edition OGLs and SRDs available, right? There, uh, Chad is asking, and I just did a double check. Uh, there was a third edition OGL and SRD. There was a uh, 3.5, which I don't yep. think had a new OGL except to update the SRD. Mm-hmm. But it, I, but there was a 3.5 SRD, and then there was a 5e SRD OGL um, combo. So, uh, and there, I think there was obviously ones for. Bef- I, I feel like there was one that was uh, for an older edition of that too. Um, but um, when a new one comes out, they don't. Uh, 
they don't delete the old ones, right? Like they, right. they exist. Um, the, and, and honestly, like we're kind of a passing comment or, or maybe, maybe it was a little bit more than that. A statement made two years before the thing happens mm-hmm. should not be taken as gospel truth for what's going to happen in two years. Right. Sure. So the fact that they say we don't have any plans of updating the SRD or OGL doesn't mean that they're not going to in a couple of years, right. but mm-hmm. it is a, it did like put my little antenna up um, because I we did get one for 3.5 and we did get one for 5e. We did not get one for 4e, right? Well, I think it's rightfully um, so. I think Wizards of the Coast is very, very careful about what they say and when they say it. Very careful and it's very practiced and it's very rehearsed and mechanically dissected before it's, it is published. And to say we don't have any plans to touch on the OGL if it's if it is if it, maybe it's a misfire to say that that maybe they said it too well, soon or they shouldn't have said anything at all but it creates a lot of uncertainty and nervousness i think in the community by saying that but i still i still don't think they're going to shoot themselves in the foot by not making it available to create with yes I agree. It's a, oh, yeah. it's, it like I, I, it would be an incredible blunder, but, and, and I, I really hope that they don't do that. Um, I guess I could bring up some reasons why they might, but um, my hope is that they, that they, that they, they listen to reason. They come to well, their senses and they do. I don't uh, think it's even a listen to reason, come to your senses. This is the biggest edition. 5e is the biggest edition ever. In the history of D and D, and it is still growing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They're not it, going to eliminate that. I mean, because usually, you know, back in you know in first first edition, second edition, it was they, they never did something that's like, well, this will run for about five years or ten yeah. or six years. It was we're going to ride this thing into the ground. Mm-hmm. I think that they are carefully trying to thread a needle between not i think what they're trying to do uh yeah if i was going to guess is they're trying to thread a needle between not wanting any person any group that is currently playing fifth edition to have to buy all new books right or give them mm-hmm. any reason to turn turn away from 5e while at the same time bringing in as much of their licensing back home as they can. I think that's why they're building their own VTT is because what they didn't know when they launched fifth edition or what they didn't understand or what nobody could guess is that eight years later, almost all D and D was going to be played online. Mm-hmm. And so they sub licensed out the ability to produce great, uh, you know, uh, and, and format 5e VTTs to Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds and D&D Beyond especially. And while they still get a piece of all those pies, every time you sell, you know, Lost Mines of Fandelver on Roll20, Watsy's getting a cut of that. They're not getting the whole cut. Mm. And And that has to be eating at them in a world where physical book sales are uh, in some ways playing second fiddle to online certainly online games are playing second fiddle to in-person games um 
digital content has to be following that to some extent. And so I think that what this is, is if we can make just enough adjustments to where it kind of makes it difficult for the those publishers, those, those third parties to release virtual platform stuff, then we can get some of that back in-house. That's great. We just don't want to go too far to alienate our player base. I think that's absolutely true, Troy. I don't. I think it's the it's beyond blunder to to mm-hmm. to sour their player base. The question is, can they do that? Right. Well, I think they can. I mean, because because one of the one of the things that has been discussed, you know, it's like, well, what if they, you know, they they they're not going to pull the license from D and D Beyond, but maybe they don't extend the license to the new stuff to D and D Beyond, and that is also a blunder because you've got those people that have mm-hmm. all their books on there. And as soon as, as soon as the company says, well, you know what, if you want to stay current, we're not letting DD beyond touch it. Mm-hmm. It's all that is going to be a huge mistake. Now, what they can do is it's like, yes, we're going to pull, we're going to pull stuff in house. So if you want your online books from us, it's the best way to do it. It's better than D and D beyond. You can still get your books from D and D beyond going forward and everything else. But ours is so integrated with our VTT. It's completely seamless. And we have all these really cool bells and whistles. We'll have special adventures that you can only get Mm -hmm. on our end and things like that. But there is no way I, well, I hope there is no way they say, you know what? We're not going to allow third-party VTTs and third-party online whatevers to have the new stuff. It's tricky because, like right now, it's a, still a selling point for a lot of people that you can play Roll20 for free, right? Mm-hmm. And you can even play 5e Roll20 for free with the SRD, right? Like they, all of that's put in. If the SRD doesn't update, the not neither does Roll Twenty, right? Mm-hmm. Now they exactly. may be able to sell you new mm-hmm. content that has the new stuff, but the free stuff stays in the old way, right? And that's and, 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 and that's fine because, like what yeah. John John said, Wizards has always picked their language very carefully. We see that in the books. We see that in the rules. They say things a certain way. Because it means a specific thing, and they 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 went to great lengths when they were talking about what's going to happen in twenty twenty four to not say mm-hmm. this is a new edition. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they did not say that at all. It was new evolution, new version. Yeah. So, I truly believe that yes, it will be backwards compatible. Meaning, yeah, I can play my. 5e ranger and it's just fine but man the mm-hmm. the evolution ranger does a couple of things that's really cool and you and i look at it like this you know with with all the third-party content creators out there right now and i know in our discussions i always refer to level up the mm-hmm. the, the en world stuff that right there is the type of content that we can that the, the current uh, setup allows for third-party creators? They have created an advanced version of Five E. 
very much like what is going to be done, I think, by Wizards of the Coast because they they obviously saw him do that. They obviously saw them take it to that next level and see that, oh, and they made it so that 5e classes can play in those games. They They might not be quite as powerful, but they can still play in those games. It'll be, it'll be fun and you'll be able to have a good time, but it's that, yeah, I can do this and I don't have to, I don't have to buy any new books, but man, Mm -hmm. I'd like to be able to play that new barbarian class. So Isaac, Mm. if you were uh, bringing us back to the, uh, the publisher side of it, um, if you were a third party publisher right now and you had a clean slate, you're ready to start on your new project. Um, and you said, we want to do something that can capture the, the 5e audience. That's who we want to write for. What would you do? Like, what's your, what would be your, I feel good about this project. If, if, let me caveat what I'm about to say with, if they were to confirm ahead of time, be a year or two years that they were going to announce, uh, 6e. I would start getting ready to try and be the first one to create the Pathfinder equivalent to 60. Um, so be the first one to make 5.5 E. Um, but probably what I would do is I'd, I'd focus on making something that was more system neutral or try and focus on something that was, cause I mean, that, that that's in, in the circles I run in, that's what is the rage, you know, system neutral. Mm. You're mainly buying a story and figuring out how to adapt it. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I also think that I would be, I'd be a little bit nervous. Um, what was I going to say? I I was going to try and I, I think it's a bit different right now because once upon a time, most of the RPG world, as I understand it was GURPS and then GURPS begot D and D and then D and D became the thing. If, if you're playing TTRPGs, then you're playing D&D. I could be wrong. I, I'm, I'm not a TTRPG historian, although I, I wish I was. But <laughs> in the world that we're in now, there's so many different systems. I think that if they were to try and change the system, then everyone's just going to go find a new system that they love that's going to let them make content and let them make things and make money off of it using a different license. Um, that, that, that's my fear as wizards of the coast, but to answer your question, Zach, I'd probably start making system neutral content if I was worried, but I also probably would try and lean into the things that I knew the 5e audience really liked. Um, that's kind of a fence toast milk. What is it? Uh, Milk toast, milk, milk toast fence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind, of, kind of answer. Milk, milk fence yeah. toast. Yeah, but I'd, I'd be, I'd be playing it safe, and I'd be, I'd, I'd be, I'd actually be a bit pessimistic. Um, I'd brace for another edition war. It's such a weird thing because uh, the more every time we have this conversation, it comes down to there's no way that Watsi would ignite another edition war like like it's just the dumbest idea and it wouldn't work ever at this point at the height of their at the height of their power you know to light a fuse here's here's the thing though let's talk about 
what dr- what drives every business at its core money and whenever you give whenever watsi is given has shown itself to be a serious cash cow and dungeons and dragons is now on the on the map at hasbro as a revenue generator that whenever the changing of the guard occurs now there's new there are new orders that come from on high that it doesn't matter if they play the games or not. They don't have to. From them, it's business, right? The business is satisfying the shareholders, increasing the stock, making more money, rents repeat, right? I hate to be sound jaded about it, but that's effectively the goal of every every organization that isn't a non, is not a nonprofit is to profit. And so, in this, I find it very ironic and very timely that whenever there is a changing of the guard at the highest levels in in Watsi and in Hasbro and they've shifted gears hard to lean very heavily into Wizards of the Coast now we're hearing about the the next iteration of Dungeons and Dragons and as a result to me it's not driven on it is driven on in satisfying as many people as absolutely possible but I don't I would be curious to find out how many people boots on the ground at at that are actually have been working on D and D like the Jeremy Crawfords and, and so on. How many of those people are actually making the decisions that are being, that are driving forward change in this? How excited are they actually about this as opposed to uh, we've got to milk this thing as, as hard as we possibly can for us uh, for the time, right? We, there's no guarantee of, of tomorrow that it's going to continue to be like this. So let's make a movie. Let's make TV shows. Let's put, let's, uh, let's make, we need to pump out more books. We need to, we need to publish more of this and more of that. So to me, what the, uh, the worry is that it's going to water down the brand with all of the other stuff that they've got out there, all of the licensing that they're doing anyway, because there's like the D and D craze. We're going to hit an apex with it and they're going to get greedy and they're going to risk it all by seeing how far they can push the community. Oh well, they're going to love no matter love it no matter what we pump out there. I mean, they liked Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, didn't they? Look how much Rhyme of the Frost Maiden they it, pumped. They, they what, liked, right? What I'd love to see is, I think a big telling point, and I think this has to have been their test run, right? Is what did that that three book set that they just released? What was its sales mm-hmm. numbers like? That had that was basically you know it was what. Mordenkainen's, uh, Tasha's, and um, and uh, Xanathar's, right? Mm-hmm. But it was, right. it which, was Mord- which I think is Mordenkainen's of the Multiverse. Yes, yeah, and I would yes. say that it's probably those numbers are probably inflated by the fact that Mordenkainen's was in there, and that was probably a driver for a lot of people bu- purchasing it that already had the other two books. So I'm not sure if that's going to be a clear well, winner on but, but, a litmus it, test. It should be in some ways, though, because it, it's going to at least be – I think that it has to at least be an indication for them. Because it the, the, the new revised core set is going to have new content or at least a new pitch on content as well. Uh, Troy, you shared with us uh, uh, a DM layer video recently that talked about, you know, maybe stuff that might be added to the Game Master's Guide um, mm-hmm. that – that would be, you know, useful tools that we've discovered since the since the creation of Fifth Edition. Um, there's going to be some stuff like that, I think, in those revised core rule books. Um, so I think there is, I, I I think that there is a question mark though, one way or another, of can they print largely the same books and get and get good sales numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
the other side of this is, I think, like, we just saw them re-release Curse of Strahd as mm-hmm. a campaign, mm-hmm. right? And in that side of things, really, they just cleaned up some language. They changed some things that uh, that kind of helped that product get more in line with some of their values as a company currently. And they tweaked some of the minor mechanical things, right? Like, real simple, polish, done, move on. If that's what they do with the revised rule books, then this is all a silly conversation and there's mm-hmm. no need for anything. Of course it's backwards compatible because really all you did is you, you know, you tosh it everything, you tosh it everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just made everything have slightly more, uh, customization. So it's not really a five, five or a six. So we're really talking about like a, a five, one. Right. It's, right. It's, yeah. And, and I think that's really what we're getting. I mean, what we, what, what we're going to see we've already seen some of in mm-hmm. the, the uh, Dragonlands on Earth Arcana. We've got backgrounds that give feats. What did they, what have they said? Oh, the next evolution will have the, the characters will be a little bit more powerful and the monsters will be a little bit more powerful. We're already seeing examples of what that's going to be. So third party creators can create backgrounds with feats. That's yes. not, a, that's, they can already it's do no that. Problem. Yeah. Right. So that's that's that has been my argument from the beginning. Everything that they do that doesn't get added to the SRD or doesn't get added to the OGL or whatever, however that works, third-party creators can still create that content. They're doing it now. Artificers are not part of the SRD. But how many artificer-like classes have you seen in other products? You can absolutely do that, the, and you are 99% right. The things that you can't do is you can't make a subclass for the artificer. Right, right. but you can make a subclass for yours, and you can make it close enough to be like, oh, I see what they did there. Then that hardcore five, fifth edition player, the or evolution player, is going to say, oh, I really wish that subclass was for evolution, I see how they did it. I can tweak it and make it my mm-hmm. own. And that's what you're going to see. You're going to see it's going to be backwards compatible, sideways compatible, a little bit of forwards compatible, into the left kind of thing. You're going to have all of this stuff that you'll be able to do and smash together. Now, I want to answer Zach's question to Isaac. And that is, what would what would I do? And, I, and Zach's like, damn it. That's why I didn't ask you. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> Okay, so if if all of all of gaming, all the fandom of gaming is is a you know a big pie, big pie chart, and we'll say that the pie chart is like ten inches across. Two thirds of that pie chart is D and D fifth edition right now. Yes, yes. And then one third of that pie chart is all the other yep. systems out there, right? Yep. So if you're creating stuff right now in the gamosphere for the next two years, to me, your best bet is to keep creating in five E because you've got that whole 10 inch two two thirds of that 10 inch pie chart. That is your possible audience. Because as soon as you go system agnostic, you're still on that same pie chart, but suddenly your portion of it shrinks down to about two inches across. Because you're going to have a lot of people like me who's like, oh, that setting sounds really cool or that adventure sounds really cool. Oh, it's all system neutral. 
which means I now have to go in and plug in all of my stuff from 5e. And I don't want to do that. I'm not saying it's a bad way to do. I'm just saying I don't want to take the time to do that. I want to be able to open up that book and go, okay, there's the goblin stats and there's the new thing here that has, you know, it's all right there. And there's something that we have access to that could also fix that. But that's, that's a different topic. But I, to me, it's like, you, you gotta, you gotta make hay while the sun is shining for the next two years. The sun is going to shine on five E and 2024 or the closer we get to 2024 as they start dribbling out more and more hints and, and, and previews and things, you could start to kind of hedge your bets a little bit. And then once 2024 hits and the actual books drop and you finally know what's in there, you take a week and you go, well, let's keep doing what we were doing because we were right. Or, well, we got to pivot real hard. But either way, for the next two years, you're going to make money. Yeah, I think that's that. I think that's I'll do a very uncharacteristically John thing and say it very briefly that I think you're jumping ship too quickly if you were to stop producing 5e material or Mm -hmm. if you that again, we're talking about two years time, right? It's a little bit. Yeah, go. Sorry. No, go ahead. It's fine. Well, it's a little it, it is far ahead it depends on what your release is compared to your start of the project right sure imagine imagine that you are uh um oh gosh um onyx path right now who has a lead time of two and a half years Mm. from the time they release the kickstarter to when they deliver the book right if you're onyx path right now do you dare launch a 5e kickstarter Mm. saying that you're going to deliver in summer of 2024 I think that depends on the product. Yes. And, and I think you continue yeah. to do it, but you, you may have to shift gears on like reducing the footprint of what you're actually producing so that you can stay within that two year window and you can still get your goodie. You can still make your players happy and play, make your DMS happy with the stuff that you produce without you, abandoning the revenue that you could generate by having a very, like everybody is playing five E right now. And, and it's very painful for players to learn a new system or really frightening is the more accurate way of putting it. Typically what I've noticed is the GM is, or the DM is the one that really learns it and teaches everybody else at the table nine times out of the 10. Um, but it's, it's, it can be daunting to do that. I don't think people are going to stop playing five E for the next two years. And as a result, you should capitalize on the use and the play that other people are going to have, get your product out there, create, like build the brand over the course of the next two years. And then, Within like the the six months lead up to oh my god here it comes D Day the the uh, <laughs> uh, the new the new D and D is coming within that six months you create it system agnostically within that within that time frame and then either as as soon as five point five or six E comes out then it's like boom 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 all we're doing for like the ninety percent of what we have is in the can is doesn't need the system involved in it. As soon as the system comes out and we scour it, we understand it. Then we plug in all the six E stuff or the five E stuff. If the OGL is available to it. And then you, then you're on the front end of that wave that comes in for people producing content. That's, that's in line with that new system. And I don't, I don't think it's going to be a wave or, or what you're kind of describing. I see, 
what's going to happen because 5e is so widespread mm. 5e is so wide that honestly at this point in time it doesn't matter what wizards does because it's there's so much out there what mm. you're going to see is <laughs> first edition pathfinder to second edition pathfinder mm. you're going to have so many people be like yeah you know the new the new evolution is cool but yeah it's tricky, right? Um, and I want to get this, steer this back to Isaac here. Um, it's tricky because you're absolutely right that you won't, you won't lose the whole 5e audience or even most of it. Uh, that audience isn't going anywhere. That said, uh, if you go into a game store right now, you can't buy a the average game store. You can't buy a regular Pathfinder 1 ebook, right? Nope, not um, those are not available. Now, Pathfinder is all of a sudden now creating 5e books, and mm-hmm. as Chad has pointed out, and what a fascinating uh, choice. I mean, the choice is money-driven. Pathfinder 2 isn't working out the way they thought it would, so in my mind, it's like, well, we could do what we did before and just make stuff for D&D again. Um, it's the weirdest thing, though, to look at a book that says Pathfinder 5e. 5e. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's like that's that's not how that is supposed to work, but sure. Um, okay, so so what if you know what if you you have a thing where you're creating in five e. As soon as six e comes out, you have the ability to have all of the crunch content in that book in six e. Mm-hmm. Then what do you do? Do you continue to create in five E and just be like, "We'll we'll fix it in post mm-hmm. when it when it comes out, we'll worry about it then." Yeah, that's that's kind of how I look at it because if you have that ability, then what's what? Why stop? Just well, plow. Well, what I was gonna do is pitch this maybe the, uh, the same question I pitched before, but in a different light to Isaac here. And Isaac, you may have something else you want to touch on as well. I don't know, um, but. We just mentioned Pathfinder. We just mentioned that Pathfinder 2E is a, a a fine system, but but didn't go over the way they thought it was. If you were a Pathfinder creator mm-hmm. right now, right? So they've just done their edition rollover. If you were a Pathfinder creator right now, knowing that there is a bigger audience currently for 1E, but there's going to be no support for 1E ongoing, and every book at the game store is going to be 2E, which, which one would you go with, right? Like, um, is there a, is the, do you go with the current market or do you do something different? I, ooh, I, I would, if I had the resources that you guys had, like, like it, it, whether it's world sure, of sure. game design or whether it's another company or just what, whatever access that I had, I would probably make something that was heavily based off of whatever was going to be the topic for, for five E and then let's say six comes out and it ends up being another fourth gen, uh, whether it succeeds or whether it fails, I, I would probably go into it on the virtual side, just saying that when it comes out, we will have a uh, supplement that, that will provide for free. And then if it, if it comes out and we have, and, and it's a physical copy, maybe do another launch where you have an adaptation. And then after that launch, an updated version, um, it, it's, it's, uh, I, again, I kind of have a blind spot because the way we handled it, like, for example, I, I, I was getting ready to run a star Wars game 
and I had mm. a D12 system that went with it, and I didn't like it. I decided I was going to have a D20 system, and I was going to replace the clones with warriors from 5e, and I was going to replace the blasters with the stats for a crossbow, and that's how I ran the game. And so, and, and that's why I think I, I, I approach it a little bit different than Troy does, because it's not so much as I have to do the extra work. I'm just looking for something that makes sense. So I, I'm willing to jump in there and replace stats with, with different creatures, as long as I know what the story is and where it is I'm going to be sending the players, which, again, is why I wouldn't work at a conference very well, because I'd be in there. I'd break the players as much as I'd break whatever my assigned system was that, that I was supposed to be working with. So, but that—that's how I would. I, I maybe the thing to do is for that six-month period, just launch virtual products, just launch something that's highly ma- malleable, launch it as an NFT, and that way it's worth it. It's an investment at that point. But but launch launch it in a way to where it's highly malleable, and you can turn around and do things and pivot in case six edition flops, which that actually brings me to a question I wanted to ask um, that, that you guys might know. How long after 5e launched did it take for Wizards of the Coast to allow people to come in and start making content for it in exchange for part of the profit? Was it an immediate thing or did it take time? Uh, the OGL SRD for 5e, I believe, launched with it. Um and uh, I don't, so maybe a deeper question is when did they allow Roll20, D&D Beyond, Cobalt, uh, to those virtual platforms to have access? I don't know that that was right away, but it was very soon thereafter. Very soon thereafter, if not immediately. And yeah, Cobalt Press and, you know, those other big players were, you know, they jumped on the 5e wagon as soon as there was a wagon to, to jump on, which was mm-hmm. uh, pretty much day one. So that's also going to dictate part of it. If I don't have access to 6, assuming that it becomes its own system, then all I can do is, is launch 5e content for a while. Um, but but if, if it becomes something I can get a hold of really, really quickly, I am lazy enough. Like I, I was playing Pathfinder two, three, four years past 5e's launch. So there will still be an audience. I, I think Troy's right. If the audience is that big as far as 5e, um, you know, stick, stick with, stick with what's bringing, <laughs> stick with what's feeding your family before you try and <laughs> add to it. You know, one thing that you said really is stuck with me, Isaac, and that is you talked about how the system isn't as important as the story anymore. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I think maybe there is a lot of truth to that. Um, and, and, more so, what I'm thinking about is five years ago, I was talking to, I would say, a healthy number of DMs and players that either did their own homebrew or they used only official Watsy stuff, right? DMs that said, hey, if it's not in the player's handbook, we're not going to use it, right? That's sort of a, a statement, right? Um, P- DMs who are running, you know, Lost Minds or Storm King's Thunder, you know, published adventures or Adventures League, and that very much was their shtick. I think it's becoming more of a a wider net where third-party creators are more well-received as in general. Now, that said, we're still not getting two-thirds of the pie, right? No. If the D&D pie is two-thirds, the third-party publishers 
the audience that is willing to consider a third party product is much smaller mm-hmm. on that on that side of things. But it's grown a right, lot but you have a lot. where it was yeah. back when yes. five E first came out. And now we've gone Absolutely. into a place where people are gonna like I, I had uh, I forget the stat Zach, Zach you might remember the stat because you listened to it but I had someone on who is um, ex, who, who's done two three years of survey research as to what the impact of COVID had on the RPG TTRPG yeah. playing world and ninety percent of people I think it was ninety percent of people had never or over half. Wherever it was at, now 90% of people had at least played once online a TTRPG. And, you know, but before that, no one would have even thought to have done that. The, the reach, the exposure to different ideas is now where it, it wasn't when people were first thinking about 5e existing. Um, I, I think we're asking questions that pertains to a market that we don't entirely understand yet because it's – well, you guys understand it probably better than I do. Uh, a lot of it's yeah. going to stay the same as far as content, and also you guys have been publishing in this sphere already. But I, I can't say that we completely understand what's going to be happening as, as soon as the next edition comes out. The market's different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's maybe the key takeaway from this from this episode as we're getting close to the end here is that um, I think the market is completely different. And and mm-hmm. I think that anything that we've seen in the past, whether that's flexibility on the side of the consumer or the creator or that's rigidity on the inflexibility on the side of the creator or the the consumer is probably wrong this time around if you're to look backwards, right? Um, we do have a, as Troy said, we have a much younger audience, right? We have a much younger audience. Mm-hmm. We have an online gaming audience. We have an audience who is constantly being presented alternative systems in positive lights. We have an audience who is constantly being presented very rules light or get the rules out of the way presentations of TTRPGs, which is very different from what we've seen <laughs> the general community being in the past. Right. And and so if if the general audience and, and we call them in the past, we call them like the critical role DD audience, right? Is very much like rules take second place to mm-hmm. telling the story or or mm-hmm. you know playing your adventure. Then are does that mean that they're more flexible? audience where they're like hey you know what crank out your new book and we'll fly with it right it's cool or are they the flexible in the sense of hey if you make life complicated over here we'll just go run tiny dungeons because <laughs> or whatever right like what's what does this flexibility mean um and it probably means it's certainly not going to be everyone flocks to one thing um in the same way uh, but uh is this a audience that fragments more easily? Right. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I, I, I don't think. I, th- no. I think it is. I yeah. because you know what's what's going on in the chat right now. They're talking about Super NES and PS5 <laughs> and things like that. I'm not talking about. Right. Um, Thanks, no, I'm not contributing to Thanks. that conversation no, at all. But it, but it's it's very much on on point for this yeah, discussion yeah. because when I grew up with D and D. We didn't have video games right away. My first video ga- game console was an Atari 2600 with the one button and the one joystick. 
I think that's the oldest thing I've ever heard you say, Troy. Probably. Back in my day. You just back in my day. I did. Back in my day, we didn't have any okay. video games. Yeah. Back in yeah. my day, we and we liked it. Yeah. Up both ways <laughs> no. to play D&D. No. Yeah. Up ways to no. play the Nintendo. We, we, did, we didn't really like it because, anyway. So it was like, you know, back then you were you were faithful to the Atari because that's what you had. You were faithful to D&D because that's what you had. But then as as the generations went along, it's Oh yeah, I've got I've got an Xbox, I've got a I've got a, uh, a Nintendo, I've got PlayStation, I've got all these different games. I, I beat the game, time for a new game, blah blah blah. It's easier to want to try a new system now, whereas before yeah. it was you were system, you were married to that system, and it took you know moving heaven and earth to get a group to agree. Oh yeah, let's try this mm-hmm. new star frontiers or something like that no now it's oh yeah i love playing DD, but i want to try mothership I'll, I'll try lancer Ooh, what's this Morkborg thing i'll do some of that but i think it always comes back to DD. Mm. it seems to always come back to DD. well D is the brand show. right we've said that before DD is kleenex DD is well no no no, people have said, yeah, I'll go out and I'll play other stuff, but I will always come back and play campaigns in D&D. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so it's, you know, yeah, it, it's kind of the Kleenex, but in this example, it's you're willing to go out and you're willing to try new game systems. And I think a lot of that comes from as the younger generations came up, it was their ability to be bombarded with, you know, console, different console gaming computer gaming, uh, collectible card games, all this other ways of entertainment. Now we've got streaming services like crazy. I feel like you were so close to saying Lincoln Logs. Um, and <laughs> Tiddlywinks. <laughs> all these new games that come all out. These, all these newfangled games. I, we had jacks, and that's all we needed. We well, jacks, no, no, no. We only had one ball. It, it's still in context, though, because they found a polydecahedron in ancient Egypt way back before any yeah. of those games existed. So technically, mm-hmm. D&D's been around for a while. That, no, mm-hmm. that was because of nerd time travelers that <laughs> they dropped They dropped one of their D20 out of their pocket whenever they got out of their time machine. It was an excellent Yeah, it's thing. fascinating, right? We've got... I think I think you're right, Troy and John. Um, we've got this weird D and D's in a weird space, right? It is. it is both the granddaddy that you always come home to, but it is also the Kleenex in which we have heard from people's own mouths say, "Oh yeah, I, I played D and D this weekend. Oh, what'd you play?" Thinking we were asking, mm-hmm. "Did you play what adventure or whatever?" Exactly. And they're like, "Oh, we played Kids on Bikes." It's like, mm-hmm. or even I've had someone say that, and they actually meant World of Warcraft. Yeah, I tried playing D and D this weekend. It was pretty awesome. Really, what did you play? Well, I had like a night elf mohawk. It was great. Like what? That night elf? Oh, Warcraft. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no. It's, it is so D and D is so synonymous with tabletop gaming mm-hmm. outside of the community. Once you're in, right. you, get, you understand yeah. it better. But when, from the outside looking in, everything is Dungeons and Dragons. Everything is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very much. Could so. I actually ask a question real quick? Yeah, yeah. Sort of kind of relating back to Zach, what what you said about something I said, but re- relating back to people being more invested in a story and then finding just a way to run the game around that story with whatever system makes sense. 
when you guys launch a successful Kickstarter or when you guys interview someone who's launched a successful Kickstarter, have they ever done a poll that asks their audience, how much of what you bought from us did you stick to and how much did you change? How much of it was a purchase that you made for the sake of story and the idea and the art versus a system that you really wanted to have the whole thing gun stock and barrel and run with your friends. Um, because in my experience, whenever my friends and I get something, we, we we're usually just getting it for what we can take from it and then turn the rest into our own. Um, and, and I'm just curious if that's what the market is doing. That's the consensus. I think, um, especially with third party publisher books is that, and, this is just hearsay and Zach conjuring, right? This isn't, I can't point you towards a, towards a graph um, or a poll, but um, what I understand and what I see is that people are hunting for things that they can utilize, take in, digest, regurgitate, right? Um, they are not looking for as often, nearly as often. They are not looking for, I want to run a new campaign setting with a, adventure that's ready to go and bubble right like when people buy onyx path scarred lands some people run scarred lands but a lot of people are buying those books those adventures those whatever to pull that content into their homebrew world along with cobalt press midgard stuff and forgotten realm stuff and everything else and just kind of give them more tools in their toolbox that's Mm -hmm. that's what you know dms do they buy stuff and tear apart but we've actually interviewed creators, mm-hmm. third-party creators, and we've always so why did you pick this system? And I remember several times those those creators said because it gave me the language to tell the story. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you know. They even said I don't really didn't really care what s- system yep. it was. It just gave me the language to use to tell the story, and I think that's what's really important, especially for creators right now. And what really, it kind of frustrates me as far as when somebody says it's system agnostic. It's not, nothing is really system agnostic because the language that they use to tell the story is in and of itself some kind of system. And you you have to learn what they mean in that system agnostic language in order for you to port it into the system that you want. And for me, it's so much easier to take something that has written in the five E language and port it into something else Mm. because I have, I I understand what five E is trying to do. I understand that language. Therefore I can take this, this new thing that's in this adventure and put it into Morkborg or put it into Forbidden Lands or, or, or whatever, because I understand what those languages are saying. I can figure you're out using how to, it as a you're using it as a mechanical baseline. I use it. Uh, yes, a mechanical baseline. I'm using right. that language to help me understand what I need to do. Well, and you let's say if you have to hand it off to somebody else to convert, mm-hmm. it's it's almost like it's English. For the, to, yes. the, to, the, to the tabletop RPG community, most, not everybody, but most folks have played 5e at this point. If you play TTRPGs, if you've played one, you've more than likely played 5e at this point. Mm. And if you've played 5e and you have to do a conversion, 
to Morkborg, it's a it's way easier to create like a Rosetta Stone of conversion between one system to the next by having that baseline that is the almost like the universal language that we speak with one another on because you know scale, you know difficulty, you know what the, the like the the challenge ratings are effectively right things like that. A lot of the the terms and like uh, the the mechanical nuances of saving throws and this, that, and the other damage hit points, armor class, the, all of those things, because they were birthed out of the, they were the Genesis point came from D and D. And so I think that that's why it's been in the, the gaming psyche for so long at this point, it is the, it's the, it's the English of the, of the TTRPG world. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Fellas, uh, we're going to have to wrap this up. We've had a good episode, good chat, but I see on my little ticker here that we have been live on Twitch now uh, with Isaac for an hour and a half. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, if I'm going to, if, if we're going to be nice to Troy, we, we're going to wrap this up so he doesn't have a two hour <laughs> recording to edit down. Uh, <sighs> uh, all right. So here's what I'll say though. Um, as we wrap up, Isaac, uh, if, a, if I, a, I should address the audience first. Um, this sort of conversation, and in a much more contained and professional manner, is what you should expect from Isaac's podcast. <laughs> it's great. That's very that true. Um, yeah, so, that. if you enjoyed this conversation, go have go listen to more similar conversations over there. Um, Isaac, thank you so much for coming on and 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 kind of meeting us in the middle for a, for a fun topic. I, I, I had a blast. I mean, if anyone wants to find the show business RPG, find it where most podcasts are, can be found or find me on Instagram at business RPG, big bearded guy. Can't miss me. <laughs> Beautiful. But thanks. This, this was a blast. Awesome. A pleasure. Well, yes. we'd like to have you back on sometime. Uh, if, and when you, if and when another topic arises that we feel like is a good crossover, that'd be fun. Anytime. Let's get controversial. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yes. Uh, that'll be our tagline for this episode. Um, controversial. That's right. Uh, all right, cool. Well, Hey, uh, as we close out here, uh, I want to thank uh, Gabriel for being our moderator for our, the our chat. Our hammer wielder. Banhammer wielder. Banhating uh, the peasants. That's right. Thanks to uh, Bear Droid. And thanks to, uh, uh, I, oh gosh, I should just pull up all of chat here. Um, yeah, I see. Let's see. I saw, Gurk was, was slinging some salt earlier. Bear yeah, Droid. It's the Fritz. It's the Fritz. It's the Fritz. Lark Raff lurks. Uh, Midsoon, Velanaz, we love marbles. Thanks so much. Uh, I see this guy, Dwarven DM, just inhabiting the chat. Um, so appreciate him. You know, you know, he didn't have anything better to do on his, uh, on his Tuesday evening than to chat with, uh, chat with our folks. So thanks to him. Uh, Troy, John, thanks so much for hanging out with me again for another episode. Um, We don't know. I think we've got another interview lined up for next Sunday. Um, we'll see how that goes, but I think we got another creator uh, in the docket. So it's going to be a lot of interviews all in a row. So that'll be a lot of fun. Sounds good to me. Yeah, man. And just think, 
y'all get to listen on Sunday and not spend any money. Maybe <gasps> that's right. Nope, that's you're not welcome. true. Because we're gonna have we're gonna push you towards a website and you're gonna pre-order something. That's true. That's I'm true. warning you right now. Yeah. Okay, it won't be a massive list of things. That's right. Yeah. You're gonna order something. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, next time I'm on, I promise I'll do a Kickstarter, and that way you guys can uh, spend Ooh, some money. Oh, thank you. I'm completely <laughs> lying. I, yeah. <laughs> don't never say never. Listen, yep. never say never. You'll get a bug. Uh, it's it's contagious. All right. Uh, I guess until next week, we'll see you next time. Play great games, everybody. Hey, stay safe out there. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode and you want to continue the conversation with us, go ahead and head on over to our Discord. There's a link in the show notes, and you can always shoot us a message on Facebook to get a link there as well. Uh, While you're at it, if you wouldn't mind, give us a like on Facebook. Give us a subscription over here on your podcast feed. Uh, Give us a review and some stars while you're at it. That would be awesome. That's the way we get in front of more people. And if you want to watch a live show, we're live almost every Sunday and Tuesday on Twitch and YouTube, and you can find links to all of that right there in the Discord. We'll see you next time. What was that, John? I don't know. My <laughs> mouth stopped working for a damn second. I don't know what happened. Please stay safe. I need a different tagline is what I'm what I'm yeah. saying. Stay safe out there. Stay safe out there, everybody. And, you know, speak well. I smell burnt toast. Take smell burnt toast. <laughs> All right. We are not live anymore. What the hell happened right. to my mouth just then? What the F, man? You always do. You always like. <laughs>